Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners. Welcome to Passion Harvest. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you are in the world. I'm Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. I'm so excited about my guest today. Her name is Roberta Grimes. Roberta Grimes has had two extraordinary experiences of light as a child. Roberta is a business attorney who has spent decades studying nearly 200 years of abundant and consistent communications from the dead, quantum mechanics, and the nature of consciousness. This is going to be so exciting. (laughs) Roberta is the author of over seven books, including The Fun of Dying, Find Out What Really Happens Next, The Fun of Staying in Touch, which details some of the ways that the dead give us signs of their survival, and The Fun of Growing Forever, which reveals what must be the easiest and most powerful method method for attaining spiritual growth and building your own best life. Roberta hosts a radio show and podcast called Seek Reality on webtalkradio.net. Her shows and podcasts feature interesting and sometimes controversial topics and guests. Their purpose is to help you develop an understanding of what is actually going on. This is her story and this is her passion. Roberta, welcome to Passion Harvest. I'm so glad to be with you. We're going to have so much fun with this. I'm, I'm excited as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. I'd love to start with your experiences of light as a child that you discuss. That sounds absolutely fascinating. Well, when I was eight, um, and this was in April of 1953, I actually think it was April 9th, but I have no reason to think that except that's what I've been told by spirit. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night, good little Christian kid, and realized there's no God. And I was terrified. And in the middle of my terror, there was a flash of brilliant light in the room, like magnesium burning. And into the, that flash, which was just really a flash, um, a voice spoke. It said, you wouldn't know what it is to have me if you didn't know what it is to be without me. I will never leave you again. Now... Um, when you're eight, everything surprises you. So nothing really surprises you. I thought, oh, isn't it great? If you forget there's a God, they remind you. And I went right back to sleep. But that experience, as is true of all these experiences, was vivid in my mind forevermore. I still feel as if it just happened last night and it happened, you know, a million years ago. Um, I thought I would learn about it naturally in the course of growing up. You know, when you go to church, eventually somebody's going to tell you what happens when you forget there's a God. And eventually, because I never asked a question, I never got an answer. Eventually, I majored in Christian history in college, thinking I would then become a minister or something like that. And um, I never asked the question. I still didn't ever get an answer about what happens if you forget there's a God. I got very sort of bummed about that. And one day I came home from my uh, summer job, sat down. I was 20 at the time, sat down on my bed. I was feeling really glum. And over my right shoulder came the same light. It's flashed in the room, beautiful music. And the same voice said, I will never leave you. That's beautiful. So that was when I knew I am the dunce of the universe. No one else had ever had this happen to them even once, and I had to have it happen twice. Well, lucky you. Oh, no. (laughs) So I spent years saying, okay, God, I know you're there. Do not please ever do that to me again. And unfortunately, I I was, that turned out not to be the case. I, I never... I never had it happen again. I wish now I hadn't asked that question. I was going to ask, what did it feel like when you had that experience? What did God feel like? It wasn't God. It was my primary spirit guide. Um, I didn't, I, it, it was an internal voice. The light was external. It was in the room. In fact, I still remember that room because of the light. But the, the voice was clearly internal. I, if you had been in the room, you wouldn't have heard the voice. And in my case, it was a young male voice. And the reason is my guide is male. And everybody in the, uh, who is, lives in the afterlife is, is young. Um, 
It was a very different voice from the voice he had in old age. But that, but my mother had a similar experience actually when she was very old. Um, and in her case, the voice she heard, she was convinced was God. And what's very strange to me, maybe not so strange, is that as she aged, she became very senile. And when she could no longer recognize her children, she still remembered that experience. Wow. Well, I'm so glad I asked the question. So you obviously have direct communication with your spirit guides. We all do. We just don't remember it because we, we talk to them at night and they talk to us at night. But it's quite possible more and more people now are in direct communication, daytime communication with their guides. I am now as well because the veil between worlds is thinning. We've been told it will be thinned and indeed it's happening now. It's quite an active experience at this point. And why is that? Why is it thinning and more people are waking up? Um, I don't know if you've noticed but things are becoming a lot more negative in the world. A lot, there's a lot more hatred, a lot more anger, um, a lot more uh, just plain negativity. And in fact, that this is a longstanding problem. It goes back at least into the 19th century. And so beginning in the, we're told in the late 19th century, the, the beings who are in charge of this planet decided that they had to help us raise our consciousness vibration because we're no longer able to do it on our own. Um, there's a great um, uh, project ongoing at the highest levels to, to, make, it, to make it happen, to, to, to thin the veil just enough so that we can communicate through it much more easily. And that's why it's happening now. There's quite a lot of that going on. It's not a fad. It's simply that it's easier. So more people are doing it. And in turn, with the thinning of the veil removes some of that fear and the hatred and the negativity of humans. Yeah. The single biggest source of fear in the world is the fear of death. The fear of death is the base fear. When we no longer fear death, believe it or not, we no longer fear anything. The mortgage payment, you know, uh, that our dog will, uh, you know, bite somebody else. We don't fear anything when we don't fear death. And that's what the purpose of all of this really is, to help more of us understand that life really is eternal. I mean, I was allowed to do research uh, that if it had been the intention of the highest level beings to run this planet to keep us from knowing the things I've learned, believe me, I would not have been able to do it. I have never been fighting any upper level entity. They've been helping me all along. As long as your intention is purely to help the world, they'll help you too. Oh my gosh, this conversation is getting more and more exciting. I just have to ask you because this is such a hot topic at the moment. How do you see the future of life on earth? Is it positive? Is it, there's so many doomsday theories or um, talks? Oh, of about course it's positive. Okay. This planet is very useful. We come to this planet to grow spiritually because in what we think of as the afterlife, really the astral, which is most of what exists, uh, there isn't enough negativity for us to be able to push at all. Now, uh, imagine yourself um, wanting to get fit physically. And the only place you have to be is, you know, on your couch, you know, just, just watching TV or enjoying being, you know, sedentary. You're not going to grow much. Uh, your, your, your muscles are going to kind of atrophy. But when we are in what we think of as the afterlife, our minds atrophy. The mind is the only part of you that's real. And it needs negativity in order to raise its vibratory rate. And therefore, we come here as if you were a spiritual gym. We come here to learn um, negativity and to learn how to deal with negativity. And that's why bad things happen to good people. When we're there, we would rather be there than here. We don't want to come back here, but we know we need it. So we think, what the heck? If I'm going there, I'll plan a horrible life. And <laughs> That's a great that analogy. <laughs> really help me grow spiritually, and then won't have to come back anymore. It's not hard to raise your spiritual vibration. It's just that you need to understand that's why you're here, and do what what it was is required to actually benefit your mind, raise your vibration, make your consciousness more loving and more powerful. So your belief of what I'm hearing is we definitely choose to come back to this life. And when we reach a certain level, we no longer need to return to this physical plane. Well said. That's exactly true. And 
often people ask, well, that's great, but how do I raise my vibration? How, how does one do that? You have to push against negativity to raise your vibration. Actually, the, the simplest method for raising your spiritual vibration was given to us by somebody who lived 2,000 years ago that nobody ever pays attention to now. Um, his name is Jesus. He told us in the Gospels the easiest, the quickest way. And it's amazing how fast it works. And you don't even need a lot of negativity to do it. Jesus came to earth specifically to teach us how to raise our consciousness vibration. Nobody up until this century even knew what that was about, but that's the reason he came 2000 years ago. And he told us then his teachings were the important part of his being there. Uh, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Direct quote. Nobody pays attention to his teachings. Everyone thinks he just came as sort of a living human sacrifice to die because God is so cranky, God can't forgive us unless he gets to watch his son be murdered. This makes sense to church people. It makes no sense to anybody else. And of course, it's all made up. It's made up. It's not real. What is real is that God thought it was time 2000 years ago to go to raise our understanding of how we grow spiritually, because that's the reason we are here. And he gave us those teachings. Jesus is genuine. He came from the highest aspect of the Godhead. He actually is God on earth. I don't know that it's ever happened before or since, but Jesus came as God on earth. And for someone who's not familiar with the teachings, what are the teachings in, in, a, in a simplified form? I, I can't put them in a capsule. What I can okay. tell you is the fun of growing forever includes the teachings that are relevant to this question. They tell us how you can grow spiritually. I was curious to see if it worked, to tell you the truth, when I first understood what he had been doing. You wouldn't have liked me before. I was not nice before. <laughs> But I did manage to raise my spiritual vibrations to the point where I'm told now this is my last earth lifetime. That wasn't true when I first came into it. It's not hard. It really is easy. Okay. And it's and not religious either. It really has nothing to do with any religion. It doesn't necessarily mean you need to attend church. It's just a change, complete mindset change. No Christian teaching works to raise your spiritual vibration. In fact, all religions are based in fear. You know, good God-fearing people and all that. And fear is the opposite of love. If you are, if you are fearful of anything, death or anything else, you are the, doing the opposite of raising your vibration. You've got to get rid of all fear. And, and, and as you mentioned previously, the, the, the fear is, that's one of our greatest fears that, about dying. And look, we're all going to die. What happens, when we, what happens when we leave our physical body or when we die? Oh, it's just playtime. My book, The Fun of Dying, find out what really happens next, very much understates the fun. It's a lot more fun even than I can express to you when you finally are free of this boat anchor that is a body on earth and you can go home to what is a glorious, glorious eternity. It's so beautiful. It's earth-like and it's beautiful. Right now, no matter who you are, life sucks, then you die. Isn't that sort of the summary? Eventually we know we're all going to die. And if that means our minds blink out, we're no longer in existence, that makes everything a downer. Even happy things are just a prelude to dying, right? But when you understand that this is the bad part, the good part comes after you die, especially if you've lived your life well, um, you suddenly are living on an eternal flame. You, you, have, you have infinite time and infinite pleasure in your life. When, but when we're up there, do we think, oh, gosh, this is so fabulous. I've got to go back? We don't want to go and come back. Nobody does. But, if, but we do want to grow spiritually. And you, as I said, it's, you're like, it's like you're on a spiritual couch. You cannot, and by the way, it's not up. It's exactly where we are now. Right, sorry, yes. Exactly here. <laughs> it's not just up, it's higher, just here. Higher vibration. So I'm interested in the concept of soul family. Do we, do we congregate with our soul family on the other side and in this lifetime? We've had many lifetimes, and we will have many lifetimes. And in each of those, we very often will choose to incarnate in different ways 
with this with the, many of the same people. Um, it's called a soul group, really. And uh, they're very, our soul group is part of a larger soul group of many soul groups. And, and, and it's sort of like a, a, a pyramid of sorts. Eventually we're, we're united to some extent with every other mind that exists. But we tend to choose the same people over and over. They're our close eternal friends. Many of them are in our lifetime now. Uh, maybe there were, someone was our mother in one lifetime, they're our husband in this one, and then there'll be a child in a different one. And, but they also, there also are other people in our, in our soul family um, that uh, just for this lifetime and, and typically for no other. For example, I had to come in at a specific time and there was no, no one in my um, family, my soul group that was going to be in a position to be my parents. So we chose a family uh, or a couple who actually had a, a mistaken conception. And fortunately it was before Roe v. Wade and I was the result. And that let me be born in the right place and in the right time to do what I needed to do in this lifetime. How amazing that you received this information. And since we're on the- It gets easier. <laughs> it really does. I mean, most people can't communicate in, uh, in the daytime with their spirit guides, primarily because they don't believe they can. We don't realize how powerful our minds are. If you tell yourself, and this is another thing Jesus said, if you have this little tiny bit, the size of a mustard seed of true faith, and he didn't doesn't mean faith in religious stuff. He just means belief that you can do something, then you'll be able to tell this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and the mountain will obey you. That's how powerful your own mind is. Mm -hmm. But we don't believe that we can do anything and therefore we can't do that anything. Um, but all of us have a spirit guide and actually usually several, and they are speaking with us all the time. We just don't recognize that that's what, that's what we are feeling or hearing. So this we meet is, at night because yeah. at night we leave our bodies and travel in the astral and we, we meet with our guides and with our dead loved ones and all of that and have fun. This is so exciting. I just want to backtrack briefly, soul groups. What is the concept of um, soul mates? And we hear about this a lot. Um, people like to believe that they and whoever it is they love in this lifetime romantically is linked with them forevermore. And that, and that's what, that's what they call a soulmate. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it is true. We have very close soul friends. Um, my guide uh, and I have had 17 lifetimes together, wow. and uh, our connection is extremely close. I came in to this lifetime so he could, you know, help me with my my work, but also because he had things he wanted to complete from his previous lifetime. And uh, I said I would do, you know, help him do them. So I've, I've, I'm also his avatar. Um, and I know we are extremely close. Soulmates, oh my goodness, except every single one of our 17 lifetimes together, we were both men. So, uh, you know, what, is, what does that tell you? Um, all, of the, all of the lives we ever live are happening at the same time. And so therefore, we, we can't say, well, a long time ago, I incarnated or whatever. It's all happening at the same time. There is no such thing as time. That's an artifact of this level of reality. And it's, it exists nowhere else. And I don't understand it any better than you do. And I'm passionate I, I about this subject, but I don't understand it that well either. But it's, um, it's so exciting for me. <laughs> But the thing about it is, how is that even possible yeah. to have our, all our lives be sort of mushed together, happening at the same time and affecting one another? It's just that they tell us that's what's really going on. And when I say to my guide, look, I can't get it. You got to help me understand it. He says, you won't understand it till you're here. And there are a couple of reasons for that. Number one, we don't know what it is to live without time. They're very comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. and, and another of the reasons is when we come here, we leave behind most of our mind. Um, we, we, uh, uh, Mikey Morgan, the, who is a wonderful communicator from the sixth level says that we just sort of put it in a suitcase and put it aside and come here with, with this limited part of our mind, which is designed for rapid spiritual learning. And then when we go back, we immediately reassume it again. And we suddenly are so much smarter and have all these extra memories. And it's just terrific, uh, to merge again with your, your like greater mind, um, but so we don't get, there's a lot we can't understand while we're here. 
a lot of it. It's a very complicated subject. So even though I might have been living you in the... Me it's complicated. <laughs> I spent 50 years studying this stuff. 50 years. So every 50, life I've lived... 50. Yeah. I, I, I know you don't understand it either, do I? But just say I'm in the fifth century, it's actually happening now. But the other question is, in the future, a future life is happening now as well. Yes. Past, present, and future, it's all now. Yes. Yes, but none of the none of the those lives, past, present, or future, is set, is determined. Because reality is being created instant by instant, and that includes the entire past. So that if we were talking, if we were Cro-Magnons, and we're, we were talking about past, present, and future, a lot of what we think was in the past, you don't know anything except right now. That's all you know. You don't even know what, you, you, the, the past can't be fixed any more than the, the future can be fixed. All you have are memories. Suppose all of us had a group memory right now and we shared it. And we all remembered um, when the Empire State Building fell down, 100%. Then we go to it and there are the Twin Towers standing but the Empire State Building is rubble. That's what happened. It's different from what the people living then thought, but that's what happened. I'm sorry to be complicated about this, but it really is important for us to, to cut loose these threads we feel to what we believe is, 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 is real, because what we believe is real is not. All of this around us is pure illusion. We, and we know, we know that it's illusion for a lot of reasons, but it is changeable, very changeable. There, there are little times when we kind of catch, it, catch the, the, the past being made more complicated. Uh, one tiny example, there, there are more and more and more galaxies they, are, they aren't billions of years old. They, they, it's like the wallpaper is getting more complicated, the wallpaper against which we live our lives. Uh, there was a fellow who had a brand new telescope. This was some years ago. And he fixed it on a place in the heavens where there was nothing. And he, he verified there was nothing. And, but he, you know, he said, gee, you think there'd be galaxies there? There's nothing there. And he, let, he went, closed the door, left the room, and he went back a year later. And he looked through the telescope again, and there were billions of galaxies. Now, that couldn't have happened if it, if it wasn't meant to show him that things are getting more complicated. But we do know that, in fact, they are. We've been told that. We, we'll never be allowed to find the edge of the playpen in which we live. There, it, there will never be, we will never find an edge to the galaxies they, they'll go on forever until very recently they thought there was only one galaxy it was it, we call we call it the milky way that was it yeah. but when we could look beyond it they said well there you we can't let you find an edge so they made more and more and more of them my mind's just ticking about thinking i've got so many questions and i'm just trying to articulate them <laughs> i love the whole concept of time and and there is only now but you also mentioned this is not real. The, the reality that we perceive is not real. We live in a holographic reality. There are a few ways to realize why, how things are real. One thing that you should know is that, there, that if you could take, there, there, you know, we talk about particles, the particles inside atoms. Mm -hmm. There are no particles. They're all tiny vortices of energy. Yes. If you could put a camera inside an atom, it would not photograph particles. It wouldn't photograph anything because there is nothing solid at all. You can, the only reason you can't put your hand right through your desk is because they're both composed of vortices of energy. This is like a very elaborate dream that we're in now. It's a heck of a one. There's no question about that. And because it is being consistently recreated around us in every fraction of a, there's, you know, no, there's no such thing as time, but the time that's artificial that happens here, the, the recreation is happening constantly. So we just assume it's real and solid. It's just that it's not. Uh, and um, we can also 
uh, direct our dream or create the dream that we want if we choose to with our thoughts, with our mind. Brilliantly said, exactly right. Your mind is so powerful that if you are convinced of something, if you are certain you can do it, you can. It doesn't matter what it is. This Your is mind a, is very powerful. A similar concept to the law of attraction. So we live in a magnetic universe. So exactly. our thoughts and our emotions create the reality and we, well, what, what is real? What is, I mean, am I talking to you now? I guess is the question <laughs> or are we Who dreaming? <laughs> we have connected on some level. <laughs> but understand the law of attraction, which is what we're really talking about, depends on emotion. Mm. Consciousness is highly emotional. That emotion could be positive or negative. The higher it is, the more perfectly loving it is, the more powerful it is. The weaker it is, the more fear-based, anger, hatred, all of those negative emotions, the weaker your own emotions are, the weaker your consciousness is, your power is. You don't have any power. That's why we know there's no devil. It's not possible. If there were a really powerful negative entity, it would violate every conceivable law of consciousness physics. Not possible. Um, there are demons, but there, but the demons don't have much power either, except if they can get get together and cause mischief. That's it. Um, it just reminds me of an analogy, and I want to talk about the demons. But um, I interviewed a sound <laughs> guru once, and and the word the words that we're saying we're communicating, but it's not the words that are so important. It's the actual emotions. He said, you know, you can say I love you in a hundred different ways. And it's still the same words, but it's the emotions that are behind it that mean so much. That's right. That's right. So the demons or the, the, the negative entities, what I mean, there's many names for them. They do reside. Well, there are many kinds of them. There, okay. Some of them are actually apparently extraterrestrials that are, are uh, out of, usually they're out of bodies, almost always, um, it may be even always, although it's hard to say always about anything that has to do with all of this, um, they're, they're, they're out of bodies and uh, not visible. But they're the, they, demons feed on our fear. We think the most negative entities that actually exist are what we call shadow men. They, um, they tend to present, if you see them, at like a, a you know the the opera cape and the evil entity right. and the with the opera cape all black and uh, a top hat that sort of dress, but they only are they're they're so they're allergic to light, so if you keep a light on in your bedroom they can't affect you. What they tend to do is latch on to somebody in childhood who is scared of them. And that's why a child will say, you know, they're scared of their closet. That's where the, the, the shadow man is. He can't hurt you He's because he's got no power at all. But if he scares you, if that's how, what he feeds on. That's an example of a negative entity. Many people who have done crummy things in their lives will find um, that when they die, they don't want to go with the relatives who have come to take them home and they'll stay here. And if they stay here, they can hook up with other people in the same position who are out of bodies, who are basically very negative and they feed on one another's anger, rage, whatever. And then they can cause, they can cause trouble. People who use a Ouija board or, um, you know, play with Satanism can end up attracting a real mess which is one reason you sh we should never do those things. Okay. Don't play with, don't play with negativity. It, it's, there's not, there's no positive to come out of it and much, much pain. It was interesting. I was um, discussing with someone once that when these negative energies feed off you, it's almost like they put fearful thoughts in your mind or encourage fearful thoughts. So they, that's what they do. Because if you aren't afraid, there's no, they have no power at all. If, you, if, if the thought of, of, of them appearing in front of you doesn't bother you, and it shouldn't because they have no power over you at all, all you have to do is just, you know, make the sign of the cross or, or say, you know, Jesus loves me or anything. Very, very interesting. But what about, maybe I'm not using the correct terminology, a ghost. So someone who has left their physical body but unable to move to that higher realm and they're not. Are all ghosts, I guess my question is, are all ghosts negative? No. Okay, well, let's talk about the process of dying. Um, okay. A natural death, 
uh, can that where you're sick and or old or whatever and you're dying um, is always attended by your loved ones. They are usually around you for days ahead. Um, you so if, if you're sitting with someone who's dying, they'll they'll often lie and sort of look up at a corner of the room and not speak to you. And what they're doing is talking in their mind with their loved ones, you know, parents, grandparents, pets, all those who have come for them. We, we then, and I will, I'll, we know a lot more about what the process of dying is, but what, once they're out of their body and that the cord that has connected them to the body breaks, we call it the silver cord. That's what mm -hmm. the Bible calls it. It's the silver cord. Um, they, uh, the, the, the body dies. They're free. They're very happy. They feel terrific. And the people who have come for them will then escort them to a, a slightly higher level in the same place where a whole new glorious reality is waiting for them. It's very much as if your mind were a TV set and you just tune it to a slightly higher channel in the same place. And it's, as long as you're, if you're dying, now just remember one thing, go with the people who've come for you, because if you focus only on them and you leave with them, you will have no problems at all. You know, mom, I'm here. I'm fine. I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to go there. I'll, I'll be fine. You lower your vibration when you do that and focus on the living instead of the dead. And you then will stop seeing those who come for you. Most ghosts are created, seem to be anyway, created that, that way. There are people who at the moment of death were focused on the people around the bed and not on the people who would come for them. And they cannot then perceive those people anymore. And they're, they're stuck in time. And they're literally stuck in time. People who own a very old house will sometimes say, well, there's this lady who walks through the wall. Well, there was a door there in the 1800s when she lived in that house. And to her, everything looks the same as it did when she died. Those are not, those, those people will not harm you. They're just confused. And there's an effort, massive effort made to rescue all of them. And eventually they all will be rescued. That's a really good point. Is there any way we can assist to help them um, transition? Yes. Yes, there are people, um, Bruce Moen, who has since gone ahead himself, um, did, a, did a course once. I was very curious, because I'm curious about all this stuff, and I didn't Me understand too. a lot of things at the time. I took a course with Bruce on rescue work. And I told him, I, I can't be hypnotized. He thought that was a silly thing for me to say. And um, he, I, I said, I don't think I want to go out of body. He said, you won't need to. What Bruce Moen did was to talk a room full of people through the whole process. Um, he, he And we were able, I didn't know, I was sitting there with my eyes closed. Suddenly I, I was on a road and there was somebody beside me and he was telling the whole room of the person beside you is the guide who's going to do the rescue. Your job is to get the attention of the person who needs to be rescued. And um, so... Then there was a thicket. Oh, he also said we should imagine that guide in a way that, we, and I said, okay, I'm going to imagine somebody, uh, a, a little boy, an eight-year-old boy with knickers on. Remember, like the, this is a little boy from a hundred years ago, because that seemed about as innocuous a thing as I could imagine. So yeah, he didn't mind being imagined that way, even though he was probably an upper level being. Um, he took me to a courtyard, which, which was, very, very old looking because this is what was in the mind of the person we were rescuing. And there was a woman with a mob cap, you know, dressed like someone from the maybe early 1700s sitting at a sewing, at a, uh, a sewing machine, sure, at a, at a spinning wheel. Right. And this person could not perceive my, the, the guy with me, the, who now looked like an eight-year-old, but um, she could perceive me because I'm, I'm alive. My vibration was closer to what she would, was used to from her previous lifetime. And my job was to get her to notice him. She was a very cranky old woman. Who the heck are you and why are you here? That kind of thing saying to me. But, she, but when he, once he got her attention, he was able to persuade her to go with us. She got, out, she got away from the, the spinning wheel and, and walked with us. And then I was told that I could follow behind. So I did. And we ended up in a beautiful um, uh, sort of town square from the early 1800s. 
And there was a whole group of people. And this woman, when she saw them, she was so excited and she started to change in appearance right that minute. That was her family. Um, he stepped back then when her family was hugging her and loving her. And um, I said, my goodness, that's a beautiful thing that's happening. He said, yeah, she's been waiting. They, they have been waiting for her for a very long time. And wow. I said to Bruce afterwards, I said, well, that was a beautiful thing. I helped an old lady finally go to her family. Isn't that wonderful? He said, yeah, it is. So I said, well, how often do you want us to try to do this? He said, every day. The people who need to be rescued are so many that if you did this every day, you, could, you couldn't even begin to make a dent. I never did it again. I mean, I couldn't do it without his help. Yeah. But that's how many people there are and how long many of them have been waiting to be rescued. All it, it took for that woman to be stuck in time was for her to be distracted at the wrong moment when she had left her body. So another bit of advice I would give people is if you, know, if you love someone who is dying and has just died, do not make a fuss. You want to make a fuss leave the room don't make a fuss in that person's presence because they're still there in the room even though they're you can't see them anymore that's a really good point focus on the the, the family that's come to collect you they have to yes you you've got to do that because otherwise you can get stuck and it can take a long time in terms of earth time to be rescued now to you it seems that that 400 years was just a long afternoon that's all it will seem to you. That's how different time is to people who are not in bodies. But still, it's, it's, it's hard. It's terribly hard for those who love you, who go then go on afterwards, and you're not there with them. You're, you're stuck in this you know, 18th, 18th century kitchen over and over again making dead dinner for people who long ago have died. And does the, I'm going to call them the ghost or the, the person who hasn't been able to transition, do they know that they've kind of missed the boat? Do they know that they're dead? Yes and no. They don't really know, but they do sort of know. They're not back with their greater mind, so they can't really process what's going on, but they know it's not normal. And sometimes back with anger. Um, when people try to interrupt their little reverie, the, which feels safe to them. Um, sometimes they just stubbornly say, uh, you know, I know I'm stuck here. I'd rather stay here. You know, you go, go do something else. Um, I don't fully understand it because I don't like it. And therefore I haven't done a lot of studying of it, right. but it does seem to be a problem which we can easily solve by simply not distracting people, letting them go home. Once they get there, we can easily communicate with them. So communication is going to, I'm going to say, this is going to segue me into communication. You mentioned, I'll just go backtrack, but with the spirit guides, how you, you say, obviously, we're talk, they're talking to us all the time. How do we listen to them more during the day and receive guidance from our spirit guides? The first thing you get to do is, is develop a way to communicate with them at night because we're meeting with them, but we don't remember those meetings. So for many years, all I would do would be to ask a question. I would say, I'd like to know about this or that. Should I take this job? Should I do this other thing? Um, what do you think? And will you please uh, you know, leave the message in my mind in the morning? If you, if, you're, if you do that every night and you're firm about it and you believe you're gonna get a message, you'll be surprised how well you get those messages. You know, you've heard the phrase sleep on it. Yeah. This is what's happening. You're, you're, you're putting the question to your guides. They're giving you the answer in the morning. That's when we are most alive. When, we're, when our bodies are sleeping, we, get, we go out of our bodies. We travel in the astral. We meet with our guides. We meet with our dead loved ones. We have so much fun because our minds never sleep. And during that time, whatever question you have, they will be happy to answer it. It's just that you have to believe it in order for you to be able to perceive their answer. Interesting. And, and the more you, you practice this, the, the, the more like the anything else. Yeah. It's, it's like almost anything. like feeling the vibration of what are becoming friends with them that we're able to recognize That's them during right. the day. That's right. And it's a wonderful friendship. It's, it's really unlike any other. I mean, this being has chosen to spend his or her in your lifetime, but all his or her time during your lifetime helping to make sure you get the most out of this lifetime in terms of spiritual growth and helping you do other things too that you and they have planned beforehand. We planned um, that he was going to, um, until the age of, of uh, 
actually, I think I was in my early 60s. Now I'm doing his work that he that I came in promising I would do. It's a wonderful life. It really is when you are working with your spirit guide also to do good things in the world. So what does it feel like when you're when you are during the day? Obviously, you have such a direct and wonderful communication. What does it how do the messages come to you during the day from your spirit guide? Um, Probably everybody's getting them this way, but when you don't understand who you're, you know, about your guide, you, you can't pull them apart. They're, they're a little bit, I, I, I was just thinking they're a little bit like random thoughts. And he said, that's not exactly right. So um, um, it's, he's always to my left and behind my shoulder. Even if I'm sitting in a chair as I am now, he's behind my shoulder and he talks to me and but he doesn't do it. He does it in boluses of ideas, which is how we speak in the afterlife. We don't use words. Yes. Um, we use ideas. And um, then, so then I'll express his ideas in words and he will sometimes tell me I didn't get it quite right. And sometimes he'll, many people actually have conversations with their guides. He doesn't like doing it that way. He wants it to be more inter- more of an internal communication and you know who am I to say anything about that sure. it's up to him but we all all of us have a guide you can't be in a body without a guide so it's just great to get to know them and and um I'm a channel all of my books were channeled I didn't realize that in the beginning I just writer but they're all channeled I can't write without him without his giving me the ideas, giving them me the table of contents and then doing, you know, all the channeling. I can't, I can't write. What a beautiful... We do a blog post every week on robertagrimes.com and um, I get so many compliments, but they're really all his work. <laughs> <laughs> what a beautiful communication between the two of you. Do you, <laughs> do you ever think, oh no, that's not him. It's just a thought that I've thought in my mind or there's definitely a difference there was a time when I had to learn to distinguish him I, I had to learn where he was number one and then they, they'll show you where they're you know, it's you know if you've been ever been uh, had someone behind you you know what what the sense is you have the sense of being stared at or something um, that's how I first came to recognize him in the daytime but um, you you learn it's a quite a distinctive thing it's like having two minds in your same same head or something i don't know no, um this is much smarter than mine <laughs> to say and and since I, this is the first time i think that we've had a male female relationship at all and he doesn't really care for it he much prefers uh, that that i be male as, as well because it just it's he thinks I'm silly and I have to try to be a lot more serious for him. What a wonderful connection. It must be just so supportive to have that. Well, that, that incredible support that's always readily great, available. Great love relationship. It really is based in love. I mean, he loves me. I love him. So that takes me to the question, how do we communicate with our uh, deceased loved ones, which so many People, I mean, obviously, I'm sure you get this question all the time, but how do we communicate with our loved ones past? You see, we can't raise, but they can lower their vibration to be close to us. It's just that in order for it to work, you've got to believe that's what you're doing, that mm-hmm. you, are, you are making it possible for communication to happen. So I would just talk to, talk to them. And you can't be very... You, we, we, we tend, the people who most want to communicate with their dead loved ones are people who are grieving. If you have that, grief is one of the worst emotions. And so it's tragic, but it's true. If you're in deep grief, you're not going to be able to do it because that, your, your own grief will block your ability to communicate. Um, Mikey Morgan, and I recommend his book strongly. It's called Flying High in Spirit. He's a sixth level being who took an extra lifetime in order to be able to, to communicate with us. So he died from that when he was 20 and in, in 2007, and he, he needed to get his mother to the point where she could, you know, basically take dictation from him. But in the beginning, he couldn't communicate with anybody in his family. They were too upset by his death. And so he had to get it, go at it gradually. And they will do that with us too. But it's very important to them to prove to us that they're fine. 
And it's sort of like postcards home. They, they will, they, they, there are people in the afterlife who specialize in teaching them how to communicate and will, will be doing that. So if, you, if you've lost someone, try to get over the grief as soon as possible and just open your mind. Um, even the ones that, are, that haven't quite made it there yet because of, uh, you know, they get caught along the way, they still are okay. And they're being loved and watched over and they will go home. Um, but once you know that you, know, you get a good, a good validation from even through a medium, there are some good mediums, but not many. Um, once you get that, just let them go and have fun. Don't try to hold them close to, to, to the earth because they will stay and then that takes away their fun. You don't want to do that. It is interesting and I do say that to people as well. We, we talk about vibrations. They're on a much higher frequency or vibration than us. But when one's in such grief after a passing, it's very hard to connect. It's very hard to say don't, you know, don't, don't be so unhappy. But um, the higher vibratory level we can achieve we're able to connect much more with our deceased loved ones the thing is we know they're fine i mean i didn't cry when my mother died i was very close to her her entire life i was just glad for her she was out of that body but if i had thought she had blinked out when she died that would be a whole different thing i just know she's fine and she has communicated with me and i know she's having the time of her life <laughs> it's it's fine. It's all good. Um, yeah, I just, I just think it's such a, a powerful and, and important message and not to be afraid of death. Is, is, obviously, there's probably no limit, but how many times do we reincarnate into this physical body? As many times as it takes. Um, some people are harder cases than others. If you want to do it, you can, I don't care what your age is now, you can make this your last earth, earth lifetime if you want to do it. But you just have to focus on raising your vibration. That has to be very important to you. If it's not, um, then you'll be back again and again. The Buddhists call it turning on the wheel. But it is in your power to stop that turning and to stay there and then become a spirit guide to others, which is what they tend to do when they first uh, stop incarnating because they very much remember what it's like to be on earth very quickly we forget because this is not this is not where we want to be we want to be home home is the good part and and uh but for a little while we, we do guide people this is my i believe i'm pretty confident this is um thomas my guide's first uh, guidance situation he just finished incarnating mm -hmm. So, so interesting. And my question is, some people, you know, are born into a life of much greater suffering than others. Is, have they chosen that to accelerate their soul's growth? Yes, they're ambitious. In fact, we are so, we feel so powerful when we're there. There actually are councils which will meet with us and our guides and the people who are going to be in our lives and, our, and their guides and review what we've planned to see whether or not they'll let us carry out that whole plan because it's so ambitious. You know, yes, you can lose your entire family in a horrible fire, but you cannot also become a quadriplegic in the same fire because you will be not be able to carry that much, you know, pain. So, you know, maybe you just hurt your leg in the, in the fire. Why don't we do that? That kind of, that's the kind of discussions, believe it or not, that go on. Wow. Because nobody dies. Our family is fine. All the, all the people who have been murdered, all the people that, that we grieve for, they, they're all fine. They're happy. And that what they went through is meant to help us grow spiritually. It gives us negativity to push against. Choosing to forgive, choosing love in every, every circumstance, that's how you grow spiritually. And what about the concept of... Um judgment or karma if we do terrible things or bad things in this lifetime or hurt other people that does that have consequences sure um karma is a religious term i don't use it mm -hmm. but uh, mikey morgan does use it you know and he's a sixth level being he picked it up while he was here the last time um we, we, if we have done negative things to people we feel the need 
once we get home to balance it out. Yes, there's a judgment. The only judge though is ourselves. We review like a hologram our entire life and we get to feel how we made everybody else in that lifetime feel in ourselves. All the grief we caused, all the pain, all the joy, all the happiness, all the things we have ever caused other people in this life, we feel. And then we are asked to forgive them. And we always do. Concentration camp guard murdered my children. I forgive you. My kids are right here. They're fine. They're grown up now, but they're fine. It can be very hard to forgive ourselves, even for small things we did. My father, I thought I had a pretty good childhood, but there were some things. He was, for example, a drunk till I was 11, and he drank every weekend heavily. For 20 years after he died, he would often appear if I was experimenting with mediums, but he never spoke. Finally, 20 years later, he went, my, one of my daughters consulted a medium and he came through to her and he said, will you please ask your mother and your sister to forgive me for having messed up their childhood? He, had, he couldn't forgive himself for that. Mm. I mean, think when I think of all the things, before I understood this, I did a lot of things I wish I hadn't done, but I, I believe I can forgive myself because I have spent a very long time trying to help other people and that, is something I'll get to feel the joy of when I get get home. Wonderful. And you you did talk about channeling, but also you you have an interesting book that um, you you take on the life of Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> What's There's that a about? <laughs> There's a story behind that. When um, when Jesus decided it was time to help us understand what he really came to do. So um, he did, uh, he led the group that channeled A Course in Miracles, which came through in the late um, 1960s and is very advanced teaching. I mean, I needed to do a course to try to understand A Course in Miracles. So by the 80s, it was realized by those around Jesus that they missed the mark again. Oh, no. Shot and then they overshot. So they wanted to, they decided how to do it right this time. But what they needed was, was what they called a pure channel. They needed someone who um, was not known to be a channel and yet could channel. And since one of the uh, attributes I had come into this lifetime with was the ability to channel so I could channel my guide when the time came, he's such a sport. He, pr- he proposed me as the channel for Jesus. Wow. And, but he had to prove I could channel. So what he did, he never having written an autobiography in his life, personal autobiography, he led me through researching and then channeling 10 years of his life as Thomas Jefferson. Wow. And that's that book. And I, it was easy and it was, and I felt brilliant. It's the best thing I'll ever write, by the way. It's, it's just beautiful. Everyone who has ever read it says that. But of course, it's not me at all. It's his team that did it. And um, when it was done, it was immediately bought by uh, Doubleday. The, the first editor who saw it bought it. And it came out in 1993. But the point wasn't to do the book. The point was to prove to Jesus I could channel. So that proved it. And they spent the next 20 years uh, preparing me to channel Jesus. I didn't find this all out till long afterwards, by the way. Oh, great. You weren't informed by... <laughs> I was ignorant about all of this. I thought I was just smart and I could write more books like my Thomas. Of course, I couldn't. So I went, I just, you know, life went on. And channeling Jesus, are you channeling it through your guide or you're channeling directly through Jesus? It was Jesus. Um, what happened was he told me, started telling me it was time to do that book. It's called Liberating Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I told him I was not ever going to do anything like that. Who was I to presume to channel Jesus? I'm very devout, or I still was then quite devout. And so that was why he got a medium and broke into my daytime life in, in 2015 and explained to me what the stakes were and told me that I, he knew I didn't want to do it, but I had to do this. So yeah, then, I mean, if you have Thomas Jefferson say, hey, guess what? You came into this lifetime to do this. Now you got to do it. You do it. You don't um, really have a choice. 
But I didn't know I was going to be actually, I thought it was, he was going to do the book. And then um, I got a call from the medium who said, by the way, he just seized me in a parking lot of Walmart and told me to tell you that the energy was going to be a whole lot higher now because you're going to be working directly for the master. And if you can't handle it, just let us know. He didn't put it quite that way, but that was what they said. And the next day at two o'clock in the morning, I started to channel this amazingly energy, this energy that was far above anything I have ever felt before, you know, before or since. And everyone has different methods of channeling. So it's, it's almost like Jesus entered your physical body. I guess. I mean, I, it, it was in my mind. I, and, and he, as I got more used to it, we, we did a whole, the whole book in two weeks. I, I did sleep a little in between sessions. That was it. How amazing. And do you, uh, do you record it on a, a voice recorder or do you type it or write no, it? No, I was typing as fast as I could type. And he treated me like a word processor. Um, and I, I would be, suddenly my fingers would stop and I would be, my attention would be drawn to an earlier line. I wouldn't see what was wrong. And then I would go back and know he, I, but he would keep drawing me back until I realized he wanted me to change a word or two words or even a little phrase. I would change it and then we would go on again. And then he started to talk. I would hear him saying, why won't you listen to me? And I know he, I know he was talking to me because I was listening, but he was frustrated, so frustrated about all the people who ignore what he said. Mm. Because he told us his words are what, what is important and we still ignore those words. To this day, people ignore those words. So what they've done is to, is to lead me through all this blogging, which is getting us to the point of reinstituting the Lord's way. He called it the way. His earliest followers called it the way. It's the way. It works and it works beautifully. I mean, he came as from the from the, the highest aspect of the Godhead, according to Thomas. He's way, he's he's way above anybody else who's ever entered a body. And it's time for us to start listening to him. Beautiful message. I don't know whether to say congratulations or not about the book or who to congratulate. Um, not me. I'm just, <laughs> just the servant. Thomas, well, thank you for being a servant. Well, Thomas is the one because Thomas, Thomas is trying very hard to finish work that he tried to do when he was Thomas Jefferson and it, he never managed to get it done. His, he, he's really still very down on himself about that lifetime. Less less so now than he was. But he came into that lifetime with, uh, with some purposes that were very specific, one of which was to do this work for Jesus. And he actually did do quite a bit of it. People have, if people study his lifetime, they find that he did things like what's called the Jefferson Bible, where he had a study Bible um, of what Jesus had said. And, and it's in English, French, Latin, and Greek, pasted side by side in a copy book. So he could better understand what Jesus was saying. Um, but he didn't get nearly enough of that done either. So now we're trying to do what he tried to do when he came here, which has nothing to do with starting a country. That was not his original plan, apparently. Amazing. And, and going back to our previous conversation, so Thomas, your, your guide now is your guide, but he's also Thomas Jefferson now, if everything's happening right now. Just again, when he left that he yes, when he left that lifetime, he says he was so disgusted. He said, "I had too much power and I didn't use it well." So he immediately took a final lifetime, optional final lifetime that was supposed to have been his last lifetime, as a guy in Wales um, named John. I don't know his last name, so I can't look him up. Um, and that with that, as soon as that lifetime ended, and he was back in what we call the afterlife, which is really real life, um, he resolved to fix some of the things that he wanted to fix when he was Jefferson and never did. And that was why we planned that I would come in and do that for him, because I'm, you know, his sidekick from 17 lifetimes. Right. And um, then it became very clear that it was, it was urgent that we do this because of the, of the need to raise the consciousness vibration of the planet. So that's why 
we, we chose a family and I came in as quickly as I could, but I always was going to write a book about what, what Jesus actually came to do and what he actually meant. I just, you know, at the time I entered, it was not to channel Jesus. At the time I entered, it was to channel Thomas. And I give him all the credit for all of this, all of it. He be it belongs to him. Well, I have to give you credit for trusting yourself because many, all of us could be channels. It's just that we don't trust or listen to the messages. I didn't trust, did I? I didn't <laughs> until he broke into my life, which is where it's, there is, if there's a code of honor among spirit guides is that you do not, you know, get them to pretend that it's their mother wanting to talk to them, get them to hire a medium of your choice and then break into that. That's not done if you're a spirit guide. Right. But he had no choice because I was not listening to him. I wasn't, I wasn't taking him seriously during our meetings. So he, he knew, he, he had already programmed me to, um, you know, do that work, um, researching and then writing about Thomas Jefferson. So he knew I had an affinity right there anyway. And so all he had to do was to say that he was my primary guide and I could call him Thomas. I said, oh my God, Thomas Jefferson. And then the medium said, oh, my God, that's who it is. Wow. Very interesting. But he doesn't think of himself that, that way now. Um, he really, he doesn't. He came through um, Leslie Flint, who was a great independent voice medium in the middle of the 20th century. And he was obviously bored out of his gourd then because I was 14 years old and he was having to to guide some dits of a 14-year-old girl. So he took away <laughs> a little space from that. And, um, and came through as Thomas Jefferson to um, the, the Leslie Flint seance that was then being held. And um, the, the, the medium who, who you know, first channeled him uh, um, to me said, I didn't realize, I mean, I guess I didn't really, really believe it until I heard that, that recording because he was exactly the same guy. He wouldn't talk to them about his lifetime as Jefferson. His interest then was in trying to bring world peace and telling us we should, we had to hug the big bear, you know, the Russians and all of that. This was right. the sixties, the cold war was really hot at the time. But what's amazing is I'm told I have, I did one of my lifetimes was to be a young man when he was old. Um, and I think I even know who that person was. And I helped him with his work on uh, doing studying Jesus and, and trying to write the book he was wanting trying to write and he was a very old man. And when I heard that voice, it was the same voice. I can't tell you how emotional that was. It was just, it's, we, these people who come through direct voice mediums through the good ones sound like the same person they were in life, even though it's a, an ectoplasm voice box that has to be modified to suit them. They don't have a breath to make that, you know, it's amazing that it works, but it does work. Yeah. Works. I know you do have a few um, recommendations on your website, which I will put in the show notes for everyone, your website for people to connect with you if they're okay. looking for looking for a medium. Um, one of your books, and you have um, touched on this so much, how to raise your consciousness, but you do discuss how to live your best life. How, what are the tips to live your best, our best lives. If you want to live your best life, you've got to live it as if you are in eternity because that's where you are going to spend nearly all your time. This is so temporary mm -hmm. and you do, it doesn't take anything away from your life to try to live it in a way that you will always be proud of even a thousand years from now. It really doesn't take anything away. And it's so simple as well, but yet we don't always adhere to it. <laughs> Your thoughts are public. Your thoughts are not private. And so you elevate your thoughts. You allow there never to be any fear, hatred, anger, any of the negativity in your thoughts that you think now nobody is going to know about. Um, you, yes, your guides certainly know about it. God certainly knows about it. And more to the point, you're keeping your own personal vibration low. And if you do that, you're going to be coming back again and again and again. This isn't the fun part of life. This is the hard part. And if you want and never to have to come back, then you clean up your act completely. And it makes you much happier, by the way. I should just tell you, <laughs> this isn't being a nun and going and, and, and you know, feeding the poor. This is just, just living your life with grace. 
and with, without allowing negativity ever, ever to pollute anything you say or do. And it, uh, I, I found with me, it does take practice. You know, we are, we do live in our humanness. Sometimes we have negative thoughts, but it's just not to dwell there yep. as often. And the more, well, speaking from my own personal experience, the more you practice, the less of those negative or fear-based Absolutely. thoughts occur. Perfect. Perfectly true. I, I actually keep some happy thoughts always at hand. I don't have to do this really anymore because I don't get negativity anymore. But in the beginning... You know, this, this guy cut me off again uh, in traffic or, or, you know, if my husband does that one more time, I'm going to just <laughs> you know, smash his head, whatever. I, I would keep happy thoughts that I could immediately replace anything negative with. And now I don't have to. Now I, I never go there. Yeah. You know, I used to, my husband used to be a terrible person. I've been married almost 50 years. Now he's a wonderful person. Wonderful. He's a saint. But you know what? He hasn't changed at all. I'm the one who changed. So many people would be able to have wonderful marriages if only they would work on themselves. Mm. And when I did, um, I'm so blessed. I have a wonderful, wonderful husband. That's a great way to put it. We often so look outside for the things to change, to change us internally. When in fact, if we change ourselves we do change the life or the hologram or this perceived reality around us i have asked him whether he he sees a change in me i don't think he really does the the difference is that he put up with the way i was before he loved me so he accepted it now now we have a much happier life together but he really as i say he's the same guy he was such, such, such a wonderful light in the world. Roberta Grimes, thank you so much for being on Passion Harvest. It's been insightful and I've got lots to think about. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. We've had fun. Yes, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening and please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion as always. Every day, may you be more and more passionate.